This is NRL Boom Rookies. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of NRL Boom Rookies. Alongside me, as always, he's ready to stoke the fire, it's Mitch Doyle. G'day everybody. And the first lady of Rugby League Twitter herself, Mary Kay. How are you, Matt? Hello, Dale and Mitch. Thank you both for having me. I'm so excited to be back on NRL Boom Rookies. It's It's been a long time. I shouldn't have left you without a dull beat to step to. Uh, so what, what the hell have you been up to lately? <laughs> Lately, Dale, or in the last year and a half since I've been on the podcast. Well, I mean, the last time that you were the last time that you were on the podcast, I believe we were in a very un HR friendly situation, reclining quite comfortably on Bungard's Lounge as we recorded uh, a 2018 season wrap, I believe. Yeah, from but since then, nothing has happened really. And um, you guys couldn't work out how to use the gear, so we all had to snuggle up and use one pitiful microphone. Maybe maybe it was just an excuse for me to finally get some human on human contact. I didn't say no, did I, Dale? No, none of us did. Um, we would be remiss to uh, mention, obviously, young Mister Bungard is not here today. Um, he is off celebrating his anniversary with his dearly beloved. So happy anniversary to them! And that is the last yeah. we will speak of that fact. Yeah, we uh, had a um, love we is had a clash. Uh, yeah. I'm not going to say he forgot the anniversary, but there was a tape forgotten. <laughs> Uh, and a very large apology to his dearly beloved wife, who is most accommodating in bringing us, uh, you know, ha- allowing us to record most podcasts from his place or their place. It's definitely her place. Um, but yeah, as I said, he's off celebrating the anniversary. So happy anniversary to the two of them and many more may come. But we are here, as I said, with Mary Kay. Um, Mary, as I said, what 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 in God's green earth have you been up to? It's, uh, I'm assuming you're, you're growing your empire at once or uh, as usual. Oh, look, Dale, trying slowly. I mean, coronavirus has put a bit of a glitch in the empire growing plans, but that's okay because it will all come back soon. Um, Just like everyone, working from home at the moment, grateful for a job and a healthy family. I think probably the hardest thing that I've found during this coronavirus period is that um, the last really big sporting event I attended was the ICC T20 Women's World Cup down in Melbourne, where 84,000 people went to watch the Aussie women's cricket team and there was some real momentum around that point, around women's and women in sports. So to see it all mm. slow down and shut down now has been really hard, but I have no doubt that um, hopefully we'll be back up and running soon. From a rugby league respect, I'm enjoying my Parramatta sitting on the ladder at the moment, but I'm waiting for the impending... That makes one of us. Is- yeah. I was just thinking to myself, what was the last sporting event I went to? And it might be... God, it must have been it must have been the Sydney Derby, the A League Sydney Derby at Cogra, because I don't think I've been to a sporting event since lockdown has kind of eased in Sydney. But yeah, that was the last time. I think that was the last time I was in a big, big, biggish crowd. But yeah, I mean, we don't speak about Melbourne on this podcast, so we will have to edit that out in post. Um, that game was now played in Brisbane, so congratulations <laughs> to Brisbane for winning the right to host that game. Uh, <laughs> posthumously, I guess. Um, so what's uh, what's ha- as you as you said, you're you're obviously still writing, you're still getting your feelers out there. What's happening with Ladies Who League at the moment? Yeah, so Ladies Who League is still quite busy. I've got the chance to write for NRL.com every week, which is a lot of fun, and I've been um, having some great chats with a lot of female rugby league players, which is the stuff that I like to do. 
Um, I'm also still writing for The Raw, which is a lot of fun. But this year I've been trying to write more broadly about women in sport. So I've actually covered some really interesting sports this year. I've done like bobsledding. I did table tennis this week, which was surprisingly very, very popular. I've done surf lifesaving, water polo, basketball. Um, Yeah, there's a lot of good sport out there. What, what is what is I was going to say water polo and bobsledding? I have a lot of questions. <laughs> Go on. Um, how? <laughs> <laughs> um, how, how? What what is going on in the world of bobsledding? I must be asked. So mono bob, which is the mm. version of bobsledding, is actually going to be included in the next Winter Olympics. Funnily enough. Monobob. That sounds like a name that I have given to somebody at work and got in trouble with. I'm sure um, But the interesting <laughs> thing about Monobob, and this is the one fact I'll share with you before um, we get into the rugby league stuff, is that bobsledding is actually um, skewed towards richer countries because they have the money to invest in the technology. But in Monobob... I've seen this movie. I was just about to say, <laughs> I am shocked that a winter sport is skewed towards richer countries. But monobob, they actually all have to use the same sleigh. Mm. It sort of evens the playing field, which I found really interesting. Interesting. And and how do uh, poorer countries in, say, for example, sub-Saharan Africa deal with uh, funding constraints? This is this is my question. Maybe the Caribbean. Yeah, Maybe the Caribbean, the- for example. <laughs> I mean, these are these are the key questions we must ask. Um, but yeah, that, well, I'm, I'm glad that you're. As I said, I'm glad that you're still out there, still still running around for one of a word. You're not. You're only allowed to run around for five kilometers from your house and in a group of two at this point. But look, I'm. As I said, I'm glad that Ladies Who League is still going strong. That's the most important thing, yeah. even in these dampened times. Still have. And for those at home, uh, we're both same this year. If for those at home, if you're wondering what monobob is short for, it's actually short for infectious mono- mononucleosis. <laughs> Bob. It's a. Uh, it's a glandular fever tournament with a man <laughs> called Bob, and I don't know how how he wins, but <laughs> some strange kiss, some strange kissing disease that I'm sure the okay. IOC are very fond of. <laughs> uh, but yes, yeah, so as we as we say, we would be remiss to not discuss rugby league. There's been a fair bit going on this week. In fairness, um, where, where do we want to where do we want to start? Um, I, I, personally, I would I'd love to start with. Um, uh, uh, an origin coach not ruling out the <laughs> return of a player who doesn't play in the league. <laughs> Mitch, um, okay. Firstly, as a, as a resident Queenslander, what the fuck is happening north of the Tweed? Okay, look. If years ago, I would have laughed at this. And if you don't know the story, uh, listeners, it's Kevy is not has opened the door for a Cameron Smith and a Greg Ingles comeback. And you know, Ingles is thirty three off of a, not a medical retirement, but retirement because his body broke down and then back play, going to play in Warrington this year. And uh, Kevy's opened the door for him to come back from Warrington and play for Queensland. And usually I would think this is a ridiculous idea, but we're kind of looking at a centre pairing of Moses Mbai and Michael Morgan. So I might take 33-year-old fat and cooked GI. <laughs> <laughs> like in a canter. Mitch, like I would in my to do my Queensland Origin team a few weeks ago, which is frustrating to say the least because Origin isn't for a long time. And tell you what, I was having some trouble in some key positions. Yeah, it's, it's, it is funny. I mean, this is like Dynasty Karma or something that's coming back to us. But, uh, you know, if you're looking at 
like last year's team was bad enough already when Nancy Hart started having Morgan and Mbai and, and Corey Norman in those positions they were in. There there is some hope with, with the young forwards. You know, like like, like Tino down at the storm, Dave Fafita, or he played last year, but he'll play again, obviously. Um, and then there's, you know, maybe some potential of like, you know, a, a Frank Mola off the bench in North Queensland. I don't know. That's all right. But there's still that huge hole. Like the center's terrible. Harry Grant should be the nine. But yeah, let's just bring GI back. And then I don't know the other center. I don't know. Ricky Latelli's back at the storm. Yeah. yeah he's from Queensland. God. Is, is, um, is, <laughs> is Branko Lee available? And more to the point, is he from Queensland? He is, and I was relying on Craig turning him into an Origin player, and I'm extremely disappointed he hasn't done that. Okay, he's had at least ten weeks. Get him ready. Uh, are there any other? Look, how how fast? I mean, surely the New South Wales Rugby League is open to negotiation at this point. I mean, how far south do you want to go? We could, I mean, we could potentially offer Lismore. Um, <laughs> we could, you can have, I don't know, Narrabri, Moree. I'm tr- I'm trying. I'm doing my best. Um, well, like they've had obviously like Corey Oates is in his world worst form. Val Holmes is injured. Cole Felt's not that great. So even the wings are kind of open too. Like it's like the the, the Queensland side this year. It's like let's just do what we do best and pick someone who's not from Queensland and dare the Blues to check their check their papers. Just pick someone who's not a Queenslander. Yeah, uh, we we are almost at the at the vice dartboard. Uh, at this point, throwing throwing dildos at a whiteboard um, to f- <laughs> to find Queensland centre pairing. Hopefully, we don't get to that point. Uh, but look, I I would not be I would not be against that. But yeah, it is a, it is a weird one. I mean, Cam Smith is seventy four at this point. So look, it's a bold selection. Um, but who am I to say? I think there are also challenges. Like, I'm really interested to see how this Origin concept plays out because, given it's going to be after the season's completed you're going to potentially be picking players that haven't played footy for four to five weeks. And we know that a lot of players use that off season to get surgery, fix up any niggly injuries. It might eat into that as well. And and not just that, but you're kind of looking at the same thing with players, like younger players or fringe players at the moment who don't have New South Wales Cup or Queensland Cup to play in. And I know that's a slightly different, uh, it's a slightly different analogy, but like you're still talking about teams who haven't played or players who haven't played in five, six, eight weeks. Like if, if you potentially had a, a a non-finals team rep player, so let's say, I don't know, let's say if Moses, let's say the, the Tigers come ninth, <laughs> uh, the meme is already there. So when the Tigers come ninth and Moses Zambai gets picked in the Queensland team, he potentially won't have played for like six, six weeks, as you say. And in that time, yes, he will still, probably still be training, but like obviously it's not going to be at the same intensity. Um and, and we've spoken a lot on this show about how we like the idea of potentially having origin, if not as a block, then potentially at the end of the season or, or just seeing how it plays out. But that's a good point, Mary, about how like we are really in kind of untested waters here about how potentially players are going to hold up or how they're going to play the next season or just like things that we haven't really planned for in that instance. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Like, as you said, there could be guys picked like, Say if they do want to play Val Holmes, he could be at a point where he hasn't played rugby league in like twenty weeks, mm-hmm. and then playing Origin. But I'm just hoping that the uh, that the ratings are still there post season because you know, as everyone who's listened to this podcast for a couple of years know, all of us are kind of sick of Origin derailing the regular season. So it'd be nice to see that trial period 
at the end of the year work out and maybe throw a spanner into the works of future scheduling? I'm I'm imagining the 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 uh, origin being something like what was it the AAFC a few years ago where they had like that oh football shouldn't finish in fall and it's just like you know like second string former NFL and CFL players and they're kind of like but what if we had more NFL but slightly mm. worse and this it's the same kind of thing it's like rugby league in summer hmm what could go wrong what if we play oh, well, what if we I'd play in rugby that. what if we play in rugby league in summer in brisbane the most humid place in the world uh, I I, i'm that. looking Genius. forward to teams having 300 run meters cumulative <laughs> cumulative run meters 300 run meters there'll be a lot of kicking in that game um but yeah, yeah as you said that'll be that'll be an interesting one Sorry, Sorry, Dal, I was just going to say, can I bring up one more boring point about the end of the year? Um, This Mm. one might be a little bit boring, but I've been thinking from a sponsorship perspective as well. So if we think about organisations that sponsor, say, the Maroons or the Blues, I think a big part of that sponsorship is the saturation in the media of state of origin for like that, I don't know, 12-block period in the middle of the year. It'll be interesting to see if they get that same sort of interest towards the end of the year as well because, as you said, people do get sick of... Rugby league once grand finals over, like that's sort of the pinnacle. I wonder how much media coverage will be happening around the concept at the end of the year. Well, I mean, that's an interesting point because like the Blues are sponsored by Brydens, and so are Wests. So like somehow Brydens have, and I know that obviously like State of Origin is the one of the pinnacles of the sport, but like somehow they've Brydens have lucked out into like an extra four weeks of sponsorship for free. Like they've just got more, they've got more time per, like, you know what I mean? Like they've paid for, they've effectively paid for 30 weeks of the season and they're getting 34. So mm. it, that is an interesting point. I mean, obviously it's, it's, you know, they're, they're big company. What's it? Queensland sponsored by what? Oswide Bank or whatever. It used to be Forex and, you know, before mm. that it was whatever, but Suncorp. But um, yeah, that is, that is a very interesting point, Mary. Yeah, God, it's looked at the historical you, weather averages in uh in Queensland f- uh, for November, and yet yeah, the historical average is pretty much twenty nine degrees, twenty seven, twenty eight, and twenty nine degrees. But last year it was over thirty, pretty much all of November. So all I'm saying is, if if they want to maximise their home field advantage, surely they play this game in November in Townsville. Surely <laughs> it's going to be thirty five degrees and four hundred percent humidity. Oh, finally, maybe Aaron Woods will slim down. That's what we really want. Um, Anyway, we should probably move on. Um, Speaking of people slimming down, uh, Blake Green, gone. (laughs) This is not a Bungard level seg, I'll tell you that much. No, look, I'm doing my best. (laughs) Um, Mitch, I think when this news happened that Blake Green was moving from the Warriors to the Newcastle Knights because there was a big thing about player agents and how from Mm. memory... Like Green moving to the Knights means he's the eighth player managed by Isaac Moses up at the Newcastle Knights, and also Adam O'Brien is managed by him as well. Yes, that is, that is me. That's one of not one of my agendas. But one of the facts I like to point out about uh, when players move, what he's the fourth player to to move to Newcastle since O'Brien took over. That's Isaac Moses managed. So that's Shibasaki, uh, Tuala, McCulloch, and now Green. Joining um, what Heimel Hunt, uh, Heimel Hunt, David Clemmer, 
well, why have I not? This is my own fact. I should have this on top of my head. But Heimel Hunt, David Klemmer, uh, Tao Tamoga, and somebody. Oh, and Kurt Mann. But yeah, it's just a bit of an interesting to get that kind of influence. Even though he's been deregistered and he's going to appeal that, it's a bit of his influence working there. But I found interesting about this, and it's something I found interesting about Todd Payton since he's been in charge at the Warriors, that he hasn't really been afraid to uh, to speak honestly. And he was just saying how much how, how pissed off he was about how Blake, how Blake Green handled this. Like, Obviously, the club told Green he wasn't needed next year. But uh, then he's gone and found a way out this year. So they weren't very impressed by that. And for the, for the Knights, I know people are, um, are, are questioning the move considering Kurt Mann's form at, at the six. And I think it's another amazing situation that, again, somehow Mitch Pierce gets away without any blame at that club on, on, on the whole. It's always someone else's fault. But I don't know. Kurt Mann's been great this year, but I don't know if he's been a great six more as he's been a great footy player. I think they might be thinking that Kurt Mann can still do a bit of a job at nine and then Blake Green will come in at six and kick the ball a lot better than Pierce has because I know a lot of the issue the Knights are having, having spoken to some guys up there, that their last tackle options is, have been a big problem for them. So Green might help that. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, just a bit of a strange bit of time. But here's the, what is he, the third player to play for seven clubs in NRL history. That's, anyone, any, that's any mad. To? Uh, no, you, you, no idea. Seven clubs. Yeah. So uh, Tyron Smith. But I can't remember yeah. was. So Tyron Smith, he played for South, the Hunter Mariners, the Cowboys, the Warriors, Balmain Tigers, West Tigers, and Canberra. And then Darren Doherty played for Penrith, uh, West Magpies, the Canary Bulldogs, Illawarra, Hunter Mariners as well, Adelaide, and North Queensland. So is it the first guy to do it that wasn't like merge error? Yeah, so, wow. So yeah, seven bloody clubs. He might be another club next year too. You know, he might. <laughs> like... That's crazy. Wow. <laughs> yeah. uh, it is. It is as you say. It is an interesting. Um, even just from kind of an acquisition standpoint, like it is an interesting. Like you take the player manager out of it and all that kind of stuff. Like as you say, Kurtman has had a most unKurtman like season in that he has mm. been good. Um, but yeah, it is. It's it's what like Blake Green's what like 32, 33? So you're going to have like two 30-ish-year-old playmaking halves, basically. Like they're, 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 two, they're the yin and yang. They're the two sides of the same coin. They're just – it's an old coin. Um, so as you say, it'll be interesting to see what, what Green brings to up there because like that was always my thing with Pierce going up there was the main criticism was that they were a disorganized rabble. And when he, up, when he went up there, he was meant to be the main organizer. And that was mm. the same thing that we said about Green when he went to the Warriors. Oh, they were always so disorganized when they had Sean Johnson there. Um, and obviously there was the subtle Maoris can't organize things on the footy pitch. Um, but like, oh, he was he was a good organizer and he's really good. He reads the game really well. And now you've got two blokes who are meant to be organizers. Like, yeah. I, I just hope that it's not going to be a case of, you know, too many cooks spoil the broth kind of thing. But that is one thing yeah. that I really worry about. And it is weird that he's gone there just for the end of the year. So he left Nottingham Security's future. So that's why I think he could be at another club next year. Interesting. Interesting. Um, speaking of at another club next year, uh, hopefully a man who is at another club next year because he's really good at footy is Kyle Flanagan. Um, he was dropped this week, uh, which is really weird because the Roosters are really good at footy and he's been quite good. Uh, but it was uh, Trent Robinson came out and said that he had definitely been 
that he, it was a selection decision. It wasn't a matter of him not being fit or wanting to rest him or anything like that. It was, as I said, it was a matter that he was effectively dropped. So Lachlan Lamb will, uh, he will be in the halves this week along with the halves partner, who I assume is going to be Luke Keary as he, the, the man who never stops. Um, but yeah, Kyle Flanagan dropped by the Roosters this week. What a, look, I'm not a super coach, but it's not a decision that I would make. But I have played super coach. I ha- well, I mean, we do have a winner of super coach on this podcast very at this very moment. Well, we have one of her teams at one. Well, yes, podcast. you make it. Sorry, I make you make a good point. That is very true. Takes though, I- interesting. Mary, take. I was going to say, I found it very peculiar how much of a point Trent Robinson made of this. I mean, I saw. I was it, thinking um, the same thing. A press conference which with um, Paul McGregor. I don't like when people call him Mary because it really, really confuses me. And <laughs> is that me talking on behalf of the dragon? This is very confusing. <laughs> he was asking, he was like, Oh, was he dropped? And they're like, Yeah, he was dropped. And they're just Trent made a real point of emphasizing that. I don't think I've ever seen that before. Yeah, he was like, No, it wasn't for it wasn't a it wasn't a resting decision. Yeah, we dropped him. And I was I was listening to that at, like on the drive home and I was like, Ooh. I hope no one ever talks yeah. about me like that. Well, uh I was speaking to an unnamed associate of this podcast today and we were on the phone and we, we mentioned we should repl- replace our MVP award with the takeys just to go over the takes of the year. And uh, yeah. This is my early nomination for the the quickest, coldest take of the year. This is mm. Dave Riccio on uh, d- June 15th this year. So comparatively, I have got Roosters, Kyle Flanagan ahead of the great Cooper Cronk at the same point of their careers. In his first year, Cronk mm. played 13 games, 12 on the bench. Tonight was Kyle Flanagan's 14th game. The kick, the pass of patience. He's a good one. <laughs> now, do, just just to clarify here, um, who was Cooper Cronk playing on the bench behind at the point where he was coming through the Storm system? Um, I remember when he was dropped for was it Adrian Lamb? Maybe so. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, he was he was on the bench for Matt fucking Orford, who at that point yeah. was very good at rugby league and not a washed up hack as he was later on in his career. Um, yes, but. Yeah, look. Um, look Matt Offord and Scott it, Hill, which were a good combination at the time. In the words of Outcast, that is colder than being cold. It's ice cold. That is the coldest take. I mean, if we could somehow pump that take into the atmosphere, we might save planet Earth. <laughs> <laughs> but That's awful. Think, as, as Mary said, the not the, um, the timing of the announcement, the fact it was pointed out that he, he was dropped. And I know mm. he, he referred to when he, in the past, he dropped players like, like Latrell Mitchell um, and they went back to reserve grade. And Joey Manu too, actually, in reserve grade and earned their spot back in the team. But it's a bit different now because there is no reserve grade. Yeah. And I, and I do understand. I don't think he's as good as people were saying he was this year. I think he was a, a halfback in a good team. And he's definitely suffered without Victor Radley. But I don't know, and I'm trying to find it today, if a top point score has ever been dropped, like middle of Ooh. the year. like I can't find one. Someone listening might be able to find it. But I found instances where the top point scorer got injured. But I, and I don't know how. And again, I can't tell. Past, like, before like 1980, I don't know if someone was dropped or injured. But mm. I can't find one when they, when they were dropped out of the side. But uh, I do find that the mix with Lamb interesting. Because I, I don't know if Lock and Lamb's got the full toolkit they're looking for either. But I just think it's probably a bit of a motivational thing for Kyle and bringing him back in a couple of weeks. But I think yeah. the bigger problem in that Roosters side is figuring out... Well, I mean, they have a lot of injuries right now. So that's obviously one thing that's a problem for them. Good players being injured too. But figuring out what to do with, with that 
Bradley replacement because without him, the ball has stopped singing across the field in, in their attacking structures. It's an odd one. It's an odd one. And obviously, as you say, like sometimes you need, you know, you need to motivate a player and you need to motivate especially young players. But like, it's not like you kind of, uh, like you're sending him back to play for Newtown or play for Norths or whatever and say, you know, like you've kind of got to, like you've got to shape up or ship out kind of thing. Like this is where it's at. This is where the rubber hits the road. Like that's your option. Your option is to be as good as we know you can be or you can play in front of 12 people and a dog. And that's no disrespect to the Jets mm. or to the Bears or anything like that. But it's the truth. Like, you know, it's obviously a very different experience playing for Reggie's as it is to playing firsts. But like, as you say, there are like there are no reserve grade. There is no reserve grade. It's just like, just hang out at home on Saturday, please. Um, mm. Like, don't come to the game. <laughs> Just, um, uh, it, it's it's an odd one. Sorry, Mary. We saw um, Paul McGregor do a similar thing with Corey Norman today as well because he's been dropped and Paul McGregor gave him a bit of a, a fire up as well. Um, I have a lot of thoughts on Corey Norman, but I don't want to share them on the show. <laughs> <laughs> um, no reserve. I'll share them. <laughs> a big impact on the season, but the Sharks looked really good last week and I think they had about nine Newtown players in that squad. Mm. Yeah, look, it's um, it's very tough for me to be endeared by the by the sharks because I've, I've been so used to finding the detestable. But having <laughs> the Newtown New Jets plus Sean Johnson is a very good way to win me over. <laughs> it's a very it's a very appealing marriage of convenience, isn't it? It you is. Know? It is the king. Um, the king of the king of uh, Hanson Park, uh, Will Kennedy, is is bawling out for the sharks. It's uh, it is it is weird to like the sharks. I mean, like is probably a stretch. Um, it is. Is tolerate but... a word I could use? I mean, they don't use the word tolerate very often around that part of Sydney. Um, uh, but look, I'll tolerate the sharks at this point. Yeah, I just want to touch on Mary's Corey Norman thing. As people know, I've not been a fan of his forever. Man. And I just think, um, yeah, I just think it's quite funny that you know. I've said this before on the program, but him and Ben Hunt are two of those guys. Everyone is still waiting for one of them to put it all together again. And it's like, those guys are both 30 with like 500 NRL games between them. It ain't happening. Mm. You know, like Matt Duffy's experienced a great little bounce back that I don't think anybody saw coming, but it's a bit different to hoping that moving Corey Norman around will make him bounce back. Corey Norman has been tried and tested numerous times and given opportunity all over the field. And I can't believe it's like the first time he's been dropped pretty much since his Broncos days because he's been begging for it many times since. He's uh, not very good. That's my humble no. opinion. Uh, and the other ones we, we should obviously go through, the, the Wolfpack. Uh, a sad day in, uh, in rugby league. The Wolfpack saying that they won't be contesting uh, the rest of this year's Super League, which is, as I said, a great shame. So uh, Ricky Latelli has signed with the Storm. Uh, there's there's a few other things as as we I, I'm not sure if we discussed it but there was there was talk about Sonny Bill going to the Roosters obviously this is um, kind of contingent on all of these blokes being Roni free and passing uh, quarantine and all that kind of stuff but yeah so uh, to, the Wolfpack is as I said it's a sad story but um, in this year not really all that surprising unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, we'll touch on that in a moment in a, in a talking point. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Mary. Go, Mitch, you go first. So we'll touch on that shortly in, in a talking point segment, but it has been an absolute tragedy, not just the the maybe impending demise of, of, of the Wolfpack, but more the, the reaction from the, the broader white rugby league community over there that's been tough to swallow. Mm. 
I would agree with that, Mitch, and um, I know we'll talk about this in one of the discussion points later. That's been the part that's disappointed me. And I think over the last couple of years, we've seen the international game really begin to grow and thrive. And even in the Super League, I think Aussies are taking a little bit more interest in the Super League because of clubs like Mm. the Wolfpack, but also because we've been seeing players from the Super League come to the NRL and shine. But over in the UK, I very much get the sense that they see Super League as theirs and they have never been comfortable with the Wolfpack being part of the competition. And as we know, the Wolfpack didn't get any broadcast money from Super League. They were paying for accommodation and flights for the English teams to go over to Canada to play them. So I found that attitude really disappointing. It doesn't sit right with me Um and seeing some of those fans celebrating the demise of the Wolfpack, I also found that really disappointing. It, it does remind me a lot of like uh, the late 90s when the Western Reds went under and people being like, oh, you know, like uh, that we, we never should have had a team and we never should have had a team in Perth and the, the Reds having to pay for flights, like for teams to fly to Perth instead of being viewed as like a, an addition, they, I, I guess that they must have been seen as a burden. And I know that obviously Canada to to the UK is a big like it's a it's a long haul flight. I kind of understand that, and it's not something that especially rugby like rugby league players aren't used to driving for six hours in the UK, let alone being on a flight for six hours to you know from London or Manchester to to Toronto. Um, but it the, the thing, as you said, Mary, that disappoints me is that there were almost immediately. Instead, and I know that there's commercial in, commercial incentives and things like that, but like almost immediately applying for their spot in the league. And I was like, yeah. come on, you kind of got to let the corpse get cold before you start kind of rob the grave. Um, it was disappointing. I can understand, as you said, I can understand there's commercial commercial necessities. Like I understand that that's how sports work nowadays. Um, but yeah, as I said, it, it was very disappointing. I liked the Wolfpack. I wish they had played it like... Um, at Exhibition Field in, in like, the, the Toronto FC, like, the MLS Stadium, like, got some big games in that bigger stadium instead of playing at the, at the high school or the college or wherever it was that they were playing and played on a real grass field. But, again, um, that's the reality of 2020, unfortunately, which is uh, yeah. which is and, a shame. And uh, I, will, I will, may as well, Mary touched on it, may as well touch, talk about it here. If you didn't know, Mary did say that they don't get part of the broadcast deal. And and that and that's it. That's one of the big the big sticking points of this is that the English football league over there, the English you know Super League community, and everyone rugby football league over there, were happy to take Toronto's money to buy their way into the Super League and into the English rugby league. And David Argyle, who's stepping away now, is a Toronto-based Aussie businessman, and he spent about thirty million dollars him and his um ownership group on that club since it came in. But they were happy to take their money and have Toronto participate without taking any of the broadcast revenue back which obviously, as you know, supports any club. Like, you, you imagine what mm. would happen to half the NRL teams if they got their grants for NRL taken away. Yeah. Most of them would be dead. Yeah. Anyway, they, so they were supporting themselves in that regard. Coronavirus hits, and it's like they've been hand-wringing there over their demise because of coronavirus. And, mm. and what people have been left out of this as well is that the other English clubs are only surviving because they got a loan. They yep. got a £16 million government grant to, to, to fight the, the uh, pandemic. And those clubs voted against helping out the Wolfpack with that grant. Yeah. It was classic insular bullshit rugby league mentality that infects the game on all, you know, everywhere in the world. And as you said, the Western Reds thing is a great comparison. It's like, oh, well, their team in Toronto never belonged anyway. And that's just like 
cut off your nose, you spite your face. We're still left with like the Featherstone Rovers are like 500 meters away from another club. Yeah, so that's good. Yeah, that's great. We're really expanding the nature of this game, and mm. you know the Wolfpack are trying to be bought out by new owners now. But it's just like just seeing it how easy easy it was for everybody else over there to give up on that club the moment the coffer was dry. Like if what if Wolfpack were pouring cash in that league for 20 years and had one bad year, they give up up that on that too. Probably not then because I'd be taking the money for 20 years, but it's just like they just gave up on it easily. Mm. And then people are like tell, having to go out there for not being pandemic ready like nobody else was, like their own clubs weren't. It's been utter garbage. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a great point. And obviously, I mean, I don't need – I've been to Toronto. It's a wonderful place and anybody that goes to Canada should go there. Of course you are. It's the biggest city there. But, you know, like you're talking about a city or a me- metropolitan area of nine and a half million people. A pot- that potential audience, and I know this is something that we always talk about with with New Zealand, and I guess it's slightly different, but um, like you're talking about a, a a massive, massive potential audience, not just TV audience, but you know, with a twenty, you know, a ten, five, ten, twenty year plan down the track to grow the game, and as you said, it's just it's an unfortunate byproduct of the insular nature that rugby league across the world has inflicted itself inflicted upon itself rather and in in you know in both australia and in the uk i mean they talk they talk about the m62 league in the uk where teams are effectively based in a you know two counties really if they're not it's not Mm. a hugely broadly popular sport in the uk much you know much less so than it is here um but obviously if if teams want to grow that they've kind of got to think outside the box and it was a it's a real shame that Unfortunately, this box hasn't been given enough time to be thought further outside of, but hopefully down the track we, we can look back on this and this will just be a blip and maybe they, you know, maybe they come back in a few years once we kind of sort all this pandemic stuff out or maybe, or maybe they start a, start a league in North America and Canada, you know, in the US and Canada. Maybe down the track five, ten years we'll be, you know, laughing about this, but I, I yeah, as I said, it's a great, it's a great shame for, for both Rugby League and for the Super League. Mm-hmm. Um, what else are we talking today? Allegedly, we're doing. Uh, we're doing. Oh yeah, Kurt Baptiste wants to go back to the Raiders, but um, go oh, he's away. going back. He's back, mate. He's back. No, we're go. He's back. Mate. Go away. I'm all, I'm all no. about the rotation of Tom Starling and Kurt Baptiste ending Josh Hodgson's Raider career. Nothing against <laughs> Josh Hodgson, just lots of love for Kurt Baptiste and Tom Starling. <laughs> Where's uh? What's where does Tom Starling's uh, international allegiances lie? Can he also play for a Tier B nation? Is that I'm. I'm declaring for Queensland now. I don't oh. know what they're worried about, but he can play centre for Queensland. Okay. I don't see it. We want to bring back the little man. Bring back the little man to origin, I say. I, I, I want to see uh, Tavita Pango Jr. play for the Blues and and pick uh, Tom Starling up and put him over the sideline per Gordy. Uh, sorry, sorry to bring back those painful memories for all Blues fans. Um, so, yeah, what what uh, we're doing talking points. Doing talking points for the uh, for the podcast. I like this. I like this, Mitch. Uh, what are the talking points, my good sir? So we're uh, we've got this talking points or discussion points from our, our good friends over on Patreon. They're um they're the ones you all know who provide the resources for this podcast with their wallets, but now also with their brains. So we've picked their brains and things they want to hear us talk about a bit more. We've got a few of those, and if you want to get behind us on Patreon, you can go over to patreon.com forward slash NRL Boom Rookies. And just the quick shout-outs again for those of us on the Boom Rookie tier and above. That's Jack Snape, Thor Laycock, Jace G, 
please don't name me. <laughs> Tom Hardy, Bert Andrews, Jason, Wayne Ritchie, Simo Ali, Ty, Warwick Ahern, Roxanne Clark, Michael Murray, Carlo Tyson, Matty McPee, Dan Cullinane, and Dave. <laughs> big love of the big but, love for Dave. Yeah, and I, I must say, uh, I know we've I know we've harped on, but it's been the the response that we had from the Raiders Revival podcast has been uh, has been mind blowing. Uh, who knew the people's team would be so popular yeah. with people? And, and on that note, we are rebanding to a Raiders podcast <laughs> <laughs> in a number of weeks. <laughs> Uh, but yes, very, very good. And th- again, thank you for Dave for coming on. We had a, had a lot of fun um, and a human shit post. Uh, big fan of the man. Uh, but yes, <laughs> uh, now we've picked your brains. So here are here are our thoughts on 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 the goo that we found inside. Okay, so the first talking point comes from Chris Slade. So he asks us: Should the NRL save the Toronto Wolfpack from the English Super League? And if you were an NL admin, how would you work it out from a scheduling perspective? So, guys, should we save them? Yes. Well, I'm in two minds about this one. In any normal situation, I would say no because I'm not a big fan of the NRL bailing out clubs. Um, I think it discourages mm-hmm. good governance and doesn't hold the clubs accountable. But given that we are in a global pandemic this situation is a little bit different and there does seem to be a lot of love for the Wolfpack. So if there's a way to do it and bring them into the NRL, that would be great. But here's I an idea. The league would bail them out. They don't want to. They're not interested. The Windsor, the Windsor Wolfpack. <laughs> Western Wolfpack. Just West, put it in Perth. Just put it in Perth. It's six hours David, away. From Perth. It's six hours away. <laughs> there's a Perth in the UK. It's the same thing. Make it happen. My um, my firm belief is not only should they bail the Wolfpack out, and I know this sounds stupid, but the NRL should buy the Super League. That's my belief. Like the Super League, uh, I think it'd be a good thing for the Super League code itself to be to be aligned over here. NRL essentially owns rugby league as is anyway. Like they honestly, decisions they make are made throughout the whole game. But I think that alignment would be good, and I'm not encouraging anything else merging between the two leagues, but I'm more in, 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 in favour of a, of a governance of the NRL overlooks or the ARLC overlooks both of those those leagues. And I don't even know how much it would cost to buy the Super League, probably less than buying an NRL club at this point. Uh, but in terms of making it work, it's like impossible to make that work from Sydney to Toronto, unfortunately. Like the, yeah. the flights are ridiculous. The time zone's ridiculous. Like scheduling is just not possible without the Toronto team moving here. And then maybe the reverse, the NRL moves to Toronto for two months or something a year. It just doesn't work with that time zone. It would it would be interesting to think if, and I know obviously we're talking very utopian here, but it would be very interesting to think of if the Super League and the NRL, or if, if as you say, if they, let's say the NRL buys the Super League, which would leave Rupert Murdoch spinning in his grave, but I digress. Um, it would be interesting if you had had the Super League and... Uh, the NRL, and then you went on sort of an NFL Europe-esque um, mission to effectively, gra- like Greenfield, a, a a competition in the US that was not necessarily funded by, but run by these two sporting bodies, the soup, which would by then be one. But then, as I said, you could have like a, you know, a major league, you know, a major rugby league or a, whatever it's called. You could have it, call it the USARL. 
Um, and as I said, like you, you could have it kind of halfway between, of, you know, the third hemisphere for want of a word. Um, <laughs> we'll create a new hemisphere. We'll create a new hemisphere. <laughs> the, 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 yeah, um, it would be interesting down the track. I'm not obviously not talking about right now, but down the track when this all settles down and stuff like that. But if you in, you took the wolf pack and then you said, okay, potentially like France, where you have like France has its own rugby league competition, then you have Toulouse and Catalan play in the um, English competition. But then underneath those, you have, say, for example, their reserve teams like Catalan's reserve team and Toulouse's reserve team both play in the French league. So you could have something like that where you have the reserve team for Toronto and the reserve team for, let's say, New York play in like a US rugby league or a, or a North America rugby league. But then like it, it would breed a fertile ground for those players to then come through and play in the big leagues kind of thing. Just uh, just spitballing here. Just spitballing. Just some ideas. Yeah, I like it. So we're having a global league now. I'm pro that now too. Of course, yeah. we're the Super League to having a global. <laughs> what a, we want is global, global domination. League. Okay, so next talking point uh, this comes from M. And M says she's always a fan of the in-depth stuff, particularly the tactical slash historical analysis. We'll be interested to pick a few players who've had a resurgence of late, like the Morai and Delvin and what's making them so good at the moment. Maybe a few key players from a few teams and how they're driving them forward. Alternatively, the demise, like what's happened to Darius Boyd, because he was such a good player for so long and means aside, I don't know what happened to his game. Okay, you two. Do you have any players or anything you'd like to, to give credence to in terms of old fellow resurgence? I know I've got a couple of people I think resurge, but um, mm. do you know anything you think that causes a resurgence potentially? Well, I was going to go straight to what, causes the downfall of Darius Boyd. But Mary, you sound fairly keen on the on the redeeming features of players, which is sweet. Yes, there is a player that I think I owe a personal apology to, and that is actually Michael Jennings, because two years ago I was cursing his name in my home, on my Twitter feed, and <laughs> listen, because he was appalling. And when it was announced that Paramount had re-signed him, I was I was just horrified. But last year and this year, he's been really, really good. And the only understanding I have of what's going on there is that he's recently, um, his partner's recently given birth and apparently being a dad has changed him a little bit. I don't know, Mitch, whether you think those external factors have much of an impact, but he's definitely a player that's had a resurgence. Yeah, I, I think it's one of those things, it's really hard to, to put our finger on what makes a player resurge because if we knew what did it, Players, you know, a lot of players would come back from from those career dips that a lot, that a lot don't come back from. But Michael Jennings is was one of the ones at the top of my brain because he has been, you know, if not the best centre in the competition this year, one of the best. And that left edge is probably the most damaging left edge in the competition with Mike Sevo there and, and Sean Lane running lines outside Dylan Brown. But like Jennings, players, like if we think about the Morris twins, they've been fantastic this year. Is it the fact that they? have both come together again, but they were together at Canterbury and not as good as they are now. So is it the coach? I think a lot of it's also we're all of a sudden starting to, once you line those guys up and you line Kurtman up and similar, it's like, well, it's easier to come back in a good team as well. Seems to be one of the, one of the things we're looking at there. Cause I, I truly believe, for example, at the Broncos, you're going to see a bounce back from, from guys like Corey Oates next year when there's a coach change and, Maybe that's a bit of an environment thing as well. But I think what you touched on, Mary, is actually a massive factor that fans – obviously, we can't factor it in because we never even know what's going on. But 
but general happiness is, is a huge part of, of player performance, just like it's a part of mine or your workplace performance. You know, mm-hmm. like, like Michael Jennings being happier in his personal life makes him happier on the field generally as, as is. And, you know, I don't know, for example, right now, like some of the teams are struggling more with the isolation than others. And it's even harder to bounce back from the unhappiness. And I think it's part of why bad teams are doing bad and staying bad this year, a bit more different than they would in other years. And there's a bit of less us upsets, but Jennings been happy off the field, a hundred percent contributes. I, I had no idea about that. You know, uh, the, the baby changing him apparently, but you know, that could be a big credence put on that. That's a good point. Um, players coming back who, who have also impressed me. I mean, Gutho is the easy one because like, obviously that was health, health related. Like he's obviously got himself much healthier now. Uh, than he was he was previously, but yeah, as you say, I mean, like that. A lot of people always say that like having a child changes a, a changes a man. Like, and that's not necessarily me being very nineteen fifties, but um, a lot of people have always said that, and I'm sure any of our listeners who are fathers will would agree with that. But yeah, obviously, it, it changes. I, I think um, also not not necessarily just. Uh, in the last few years with Jennings specifically, but like I think a lot of I think a lot of players this year um, who were potentially kind of going over the hill, who were good players in the past, I think this whole shutdown thing has kind of been like this is like obviously footy's not forever. I've kind of got to make a fist of it while I can. Um, so I wonder how much that has like the whole psychology of potentially losing everything they worked for. And as you say, Jennings having a kid now, I wonder how much the psychology of that has fed into these players having that resurgence. I think that would be interesting to go back and look at, you know, five or six years down the track and talk to those players when they finally retire. Um, my, my, none of my players um, have resurgences. They're all bad. So, um, <laughs> well, well, one of them, I don't know if it's a resurgence, but on that same lines, like Kurt Mann killing it. I don't know if that's a resurgence. I never really thought he was good, but he's having yeah. a resurgence. He's having, uh, he's improved. <laughs> he has. And, and the other side of that coin, I think that things like Darius Boyd is like, again, there's a lot of factors in that, that, you know, the body giving up, you know, it has, you argue all he wanted that, that his mind give, not giving up, but his body is given up. And he's also become more of a family man and had other hobbies. So no, I know, when he was younger, and I know being de- depressed wasn't a good thing, but during his depression, depressed times and years, he was overly fo- focused on his footy, watching too much vision and, and that kind of stuff. But it, it came out in his footy that as he was a real dedicated to his craft type of player. And mm. not saying he's not that anymore, but it's more that he has spent less time doing that now as he's happier off the field, which is a good thing for his life, but potentially a worse thing for his football. But I mean, the body's given up. And then also, but I don't think he's been used effectively the last two years when he has played like this week. I know he's really bad at fullback last year when he, when he's, um, he's seen his, his uh, cars and hamstrings gave up on him. But last week we saw that if he was going to play in the NRL, it's probably a fullback position where he should be because he was, he was not too bad in that game at attack at least. And uh, yeah, it centers, it was kind of, it just shows his absolute lack of athleticism at the moment. Mm. And, and as you say, I mean, with, with Darbs, like he, he does look very mentally on the beach. Like he just doesn't, he just doesn't look like he's enjoying himself anymore. And that's like, obviously these blokes have got a mortgage to pay and stuff like that. But, and feel for him is probably a bit, uh, a bit of a stretch, but I do in a way, like he clearly just, he's, he's, he's at a job that he doesn't look like he enjoys. And we've all yeah. been there. We have been. I think, um, okay. 
I was going to oh, say one more player that's had. Well, maybe he's more in the Kurt Mann bucket. Isaiah Yo, where did that? Come oh yeah. From? I don't know. I was again. I was, I was talking to Campo again today about Pan- the Panthers, and we both think they're the competition favourites in our head now, considering that the wheels are kind of come off the Roosters. The Storm feel like a team they always are, and I still hold on to Parramatta being a prelim loser. Oh, but that Penrith side, oof, yeah, yeah, that Penrith side. Like Nathan Cleary's finally playing like we like everyone said he was going to play. He's been really good this year, if not the best halfback in the competition at this point. But um, guys, like over there, you couldn't. He told me in preseason that the best middle in the competition was going to be James Fisher Harris, James Tarmow, and Isaiah Yo. I had to punch you in the goddamn face. <laughs> yeah, very true. Like, and, like Yo, and Yo Yo is just like I, I guess because he's so kind of like tall and rangy, but you're like, oh, you know, that, that kind of makes sense as an edge player. Yeah. Like he's just he's hit like he's hit another gear playing what? in the middle, what? and I don't think. I mean, if if you had, have, as you said, I think if you had have said last year, oh yeah, you know, we're gonna we're gonna try playing Yo in the middle, you'd be like, oh okay, that's a fun experiment, kind of like playing Corey Oates at like sec in second row, like it's a good stopgap, it's it's a stopgap measure, like at best, and then you put him there and he's been as good as he has been this year, and you're like, why weren't we doing this before? Yeah, he's averaging pretty much double his career average in running meters this year, like he. He's 145 this year. He had 87 last season. Two other years on the edge, he had 75 metres a game. Like He's been ridiculously good. And Mary, I, I couldn't put my finger on at all what happened there because, as, as Dale said, he doesn't look like traditional, traditional locker. He looks tall and rangy. He looks like the kind of guy you go in the middle and get smashed because of how easy it is to hit a, a tall, slender man in the middle. But uh, he's been fantastic. I don't know where it came from. But uh, that's one of the many things that's happening for Penrith out there. They seem to be a bit of a post-hype sleeper that, you know, the hype was going there for years and no one cared anymore. And then they're killing it now and they're not even getting the hype they actually deserve. And they got guys there. I can't believe they got away with signing Stephen Crichton for four years and no one else noticed. Like mm. Brisbane are up there paying every young person a million, a squillion dollars to stay. And meanwhile, they got uh, Stephen Crichton for four years for pretty much one year of David Vavita. They did a great job on that. But, Mitch, maybe in a way we shouldn't be surprised about, well, I think I'll always be surprised about Isaiah Yo. but I've heard you say so many times this year about the chat you had with someone from Penrith about how happy the squad was leading into this preseason. Perhaps that is. I think that does make a big difference too. The most settled preseason they've ever had, as we said, but I still... There's still a lot of guys there playing their their career-best footy that I wouldn't have picked. You know, like again, I could never have picked three thousand guesses Isaiah Yo to have a season like this. I never would. I never would have picked it. He's right. The tall, the tallest man in the world. He's very. Uh, it's like it, it's like uh, the the Papali thing that we were talking about the other day. Like skinny Papali being good on an edge. Maybe Isaiah Yo has to get fat. That's uh, <laughs> that's a theory. That's great. And then you've got guys like um, Charlie Stain scoring a try per second or something at this point. <laughs> <laughs> well, not anymore, unfortunately. He is, uh, he is sidelined for a little while, which is he a is. shame. Well, well he's going to bankrupt some poor pub in Forbes. So. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> uh, uh, okay, next next uh, talking point we got. So Ro- uh, Eddie NZ, Rowan Ro- Edwards wants us to talk about a bit bit of the coaching carousel. So who's available and where were they best fit? So um, I'll chip in quickly here. I don't think we've all got the answers on this one, but I will say I'm very fascinated by the Cowboys coaching position right now because it's very rare one of these desirable coaching spots opens up. 
it's usually the you know when the when the Broncos had Seabold come in, they they went and how they they had they headhunted Seabold before the, the interviews. You all know this. And when they went to Griffin, it was predetermined. When they went to Hanjack, it was you know that's one example. Or when the Roosters went and got Trent Robinson again, they went and got Trent Robinson. It's it's very rare one of these desirable head coaching gigs opens up. And the word is that they've had multiple coaches approach them who are currently employed three. Three other NRL teams head coaches offered themselves up for that gig, and one of them's Todd Payton, which is obvious. The other one's apparently Michael Maguire, which would be another a big blow to the, the Tigers to lose him. And the third one, I'm not certain of who it is, but if you ask me to educate a guess, it my educated guess would be Wayne Bennett. And it's just it's just very interesting to me to see a job like that open up and have a whole queue of people line up for it. I don't know what you guys think about that. That is interesting about the fact that people are going there. Un, unheadhunting like that that to me is is very interesting about uh and and also who whom it would be because as you say like i mean yes the cowboys are an attractive prospect but also like so is like if your employer caught wind of that especially in an nrl position you would not be very well you'd not be very popular around the camp um mm. so it's a it's a big step as you say, but I mean, it is an attractive position. They've got the best forward, arguably the best, well, not arguably, the best forward in the world. Um, they've got a mm. relatively decent team. It's an attractive place to go and play. They've got a brand new stadium. It's a relatively financial, it's a financially stable club um, and it's a nice place to live. Like, 100%. It's, it's not exactly, you know, it's, you know, it's not exactly Newcastle 2016 that you're trying to, you know, you you're overpaying terrible players, but yeah. That's it, man. They haven't got a problem recruiting up there and they haven't got a problem retaining players generally too. Often they actually let a lot of good players go because of the options they have, but it's just very interesting to um to see guys like Michael Maguire apparently, again, all rumour, I don't know the truth, offering up for that. Todd Payton makes sense. He doesn't want to be in New Zealand. His wife's going through chemotherapy, so fair enough. But I've been, I've been I don't know about you guys, I'm really impressed by Todd Payton the last couple of weeks. Like, that, as we know, that loss of um of Kearney shattered that club, and and Peyton was really honest about that in interviews how how much it hurt him as well lose, losing Kearney, and they've somehow lost Kearney, had Fusatua go back to New Zealand, and Kemba Marlowe's gone, and there's a whole bunch of players like Blake Green just left, and you know this is a team that two weeks ago was leading the Roosters at halftime, they just beat the Tigers, yeah they got thumped by the Sharks, but they they beat the Broncos as well, they're still turning up and winning games and. They're pretty much, to me, you know, not not a chance of the spoon anymore. And I think that's a really impressive job from him to take over in this situation. So, yeah, I don't know about you guys, but I'm, I've been uh, happy with his work, I'd say, to, to say the least. I, I agree with that. I agree, Mitch. Like, I think, you know, we talk about teams like the Dogs being resilient and courageous. But really, when you think about what the Warriors have sacrificed this year, for them to be holding it together as well as they are, I think, is really impressive. And... I read a bit of an article um, when Stephen Kearney got sacked and I said the timing of it really, really sucked. And I was surprised to get a lot of comments from people saying, oh, what they're going through isn't that hard. You know, people travel for work. (laughs) I think that really underestimates and undervalues how difficult it would be to be away from your family during a global pandemic in a situation that you really didn't sign up for. Mm. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Even when they signed up for it, they didn't think it'd be all season. Remember, we all thought the Aussie borders would be open a couple of months ago with New Zealand. Like, Yeah, and we spoke about that at length 
on this being like, oh, you know, maybe, you know, the Warriors will be back playing home games in, in Auckland in, in six weeks or eight weeks or 12 weeks or whatever it is. We didn't expect the whole season to be played out here. And like, I 100% feel for them. Like, it's it's incredibly difficult. Like, I, I've only seen my parents once this year, but at the same time, like, I could just drive down the highway and go to see Like, I'll go and get a corona test, wait a few days, go and see them, happy days. Like, I, these guys can't see their families. And, like, FaceTime is fine, but, like, they, you can't, you know, as you said, like, you've got blokes who their, their family might be unwell. They've got kids on the way or they've just had kids. Like, it's... It's terrible, and I know that it's part of their job, and they're very well paid. But at the same time, they're still human beings. Yeah. And there's only so long. Like again, they didn't sign up for this whole long distance. Like how long it's been going, and they're here for it. And you can hear heaps of the players talking about struggling with it. Because again, with the the reality for the the rugby league guys now as well. I mean, not all the bubble is the same anymore. But it's like these guys can't do anything else either. So it's like it's like go to training, go to games, and do nothing. Is their life at the moment? So they sit at home and probably you know miss their family, all that kind of stuff. People that compare it to going away for work are wrong. Like when I went, say when I've been overseas for my job, it's a holiday. You know, Mm. pretty much you work and then you spend the rest of the time holidaying. You know, you're going around sightseeing, doing whatever. They aren't holidaying now. They're just grunting out the rest of the season. It's, uh, it is, yeah, it is very strange. And and the whole point about like, even, um, like I, I've I've kept an eye on, say for example, the the American sports that are being like hu- um, hubbed in Orlando at the moment. Like at least those guys can go and play around mm. of golf, or can at least, you know, like they're in a they're in a, a, a bubble environment with you know a hundred or two hundred other guys who they who they're effectively colleagues with. They may not work with every day or anything like that, but like they they have these people around. They have the support structures in place. But as you say, like there's only really fifty warriors team and staff in this bubble it it must be tough i'm glad as i said better them than me it's yeah i'd be i'd be a broken man more than now instead of pumping instead of pumping up another coaching candidate too i'm going to rubbish one that people keep throwing up and it keeps getting rejected by clubs but jeff tooby is not getting a a gig people okay it's done for jeff i know his record was good i know his record was good but Go back and, and again, these guys, we know this, like uh, someone, how they present themselves in the media doesn't just flick a switch when they go to a club and be a different person. Go back and look at any of the, like the representative side that Jeff Toovey's apparently picked and how he talks about the game. And you tell me how impressed you are by him. Ignore the record he had at Manly when he came in and had a couple of years. There's a reason Manly punted him. Like go back and look at what, like his work since in the media, not his coaching work, and then think how he presents himself in those club meetings it's not gonna be very impressive mate like i remember his origin team two years ago he picked jack de on the edge cam mckinnis over damian cook all that kind of stuff in like but again this is a head coach who doesn't understand that jack de has been playing lock hmm. you know that's not someone that's an ideal candidate and i know his record was good but yeah he if he was good enough he'd have a gig by now and i also think he's at the point now that the desperation smells yeah he wants every first grade gig and that's it and Clubs, I loved Warriors ruling him out publicly. Like, yeah, sorry, Jeff, <laughs> you're done. <laughs> to be honest, um, this is the thing that frustrates yeah. me most about these coaching conversations. And look, I don't expect normal fans to sort of know the up and comers, but mm. I feel like the media throw around the same boring old names every single time. Like, where is the next generation of coach coming from? 
you know, I can't wait to see, for example, maybe Craig Fitzgibbon get a job. Jason Riles is down at the Storm. They're the guys I want to start hearing about, not the same recycled names over and over again. Yeah, and I think you've, you've nailed it there, Mary. Is it's not the fans' responsibility to get those answers. It's really hard for a fan to find those answers on mm. their own. It's actually – the media should be finding those people for us, but instead it's the, it's the same candidates, as you said, or, or instances it's people they know or similar. Like when, when Garth Brennan ended up at the Titans, it was pumped up and he was, a mate, he was a childhood friend of the Johns brothers. You know, that's why the media pump came from that. But, like, guys like Adam O'Brien getting a job at the Knights, just like – no, the media is just quiet. Oh, that that's a guy. That's a person who got a job. Who? Mm-hmm. who? It's like, no, you guys should be telling us who that is, like, and what his credentials it, are. As you said, Mary, there's not much put into that. It, it's it's that maybe maybe that they're not tra- maybe they can't train the house down. Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> is is there is there a reason? I mean, it's I mean, it's the same thing that we've always spoken about. It's the same kind of thing. Same reason we don't get you know like X's and O's and stuff like that because it's just not what people want to read. Which sucks because it's just a, it's base, it's base. Mm. But like we do want to hear those things. Um, we don't get enough, in my opinion, at least. We don't get enough outside of what rugby league week or big big league or the you know the niche league unlimited or whatever it is. We don't get those kind of yarns about Reggies and yeah. about you know Colts and stuff like that. It's just unfortunately the the media is the, what the media is. Yeah, and as you said, Mary, it's literally at the moment, it's like the first three or four candidates signed up by the media every time are like Jeff Toovey, mm-hmm. Kevin Walters, and the Walker Brothers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those were literally three, three of the candidates. It hasn't worked out for five years. Yes. <laughs> Maybe next one. They'll get one of the next jobs. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, anyway, the next next question we got asked, uh, Bert Andrews asked us, this is kind of on topic in that one, but... I guess, in our opinion, what makes a good head coach versus a bad one? For example, what is it guys like Nathan Brown or Anthony Seabold lack, but guys like Bellamy and Bennett, Bennett have clearly in abundance? Do you guys uh, have, have any takes on this? And it's coaching in general, really, to me, but any takes? This, my, my, you, sorry, Mary, you go. No, I was going to say, I think this one's hard, but I think the key thing for me is a person that understands player management and that player Mm. different and are motivated in different ways and it seems like the coaches that are able to build really strong relationships with their players are the ones who are able to succeed and if I think maybe about Nathan Brown I always think about the podcast that Boom Rookies did about him and I think one of the things that stood out was that Nathan Brown very much seemed to be about Nathan Brown rather than his playing group and I think that Mm. was a problem with him. Yeah, and and well. to that end, um, not necessarily just about being a good man manager, but also being able to delegate, and also being comfortable with delegation, like trusting in the staff around you. Like, say for example, your forwards coach or your backs coach or or your video staff or or the te- the doctors to get the players right and and your players to be honest with you in their own appraisal of their performance or their own needs around their their how they want to be coached. Like it takes a lot to be a leader and it takes a, it takes even more to be a leader in, in a, in something where the margins are as fine and as um, constrained as a sport. Um, in, I mean, I'm not an elite athlete and I don't purport to be, but like in any leadership position, whether it be in work or in like outside of work, people that I find good leaders are going to be different to what other people find good leaders. Mm-hmm. Like I, 
and and you can have somebody like Wayne Bennett, who's very much an arm around you, um, father figure, or you could could have somebody like, uh, you know, early early years Ricky Stewart, who liked to yell a lot but got results, and then when those results stopped coming and the yelling stopped working, then he was out of a job. Um, like there, it's it it takes a lot to be. Uh, a good coach and I think it takes even more to realize that you can't be a good coach on your own and I think the best coaches are those who realize a they can't do now it by themselves and b that they don't have to yeah that's you nailed it right there there Dale but I, well I first want to mention if you want to go back and listen to that Nathan Brown podcast Mary's referring and I will pump my own tires and the podcast tires here. This is one of our finest episodes and one of the episodes that did get many Knights fans on board. We have Knights fans on this podcast now, but uh, you just Google uh, Browning out and Auburn rookies. It's from eighth uh, of sorry twenty seventh of August last year, yeah, episode one fifty eight. You can find that. But um, but yeah, like as as you said, Dale. I mean, a lot of it. It's not even about being the the greatest tactical coach, and I think a bit of the the thing people are missing about coaching these days in NRLs. It's not like it was 20 years ago where the head coach is, you know, really in charge of everything. Their toe is in every pie, but it's more about being a really effective leader and a man manager than it is being a great rugby league tactician. And what you mentioned with guys like Wayne Bennett is the reason why he's still around now is because he's good at delegation, like like Dale mentioned. Like, no shit, he hasn't got the world's sharpest league mind anymore you know, about the tactics of the game. But that's what a good manager does at that point is surround himself with those people. So he gets good assistance in and and people will challenge his ideas and bring other ideas and good assistance, good leadership group, all that kind of stuff. And that's why he keeps going because of that. If Wayne was left on his own boat, he probably would have lost the job many, many years ago. But um, that's one level of it. The other side of what makes a bad coach is the exact reverse of that. And I think the reverse of that situation is, is what you see at the Broncos with Anthony Seabold, who, and Mary did say this, is that a good coach knows how to, to get to different men, different types of people. Well, Seabold, one of the big mistakes I, I pointed out last year is that firstly, he was getting rid of Broncos players who you know would be known as weekend warriors. Those guys who aren't the best at training, but when the weekend rolls around, they kill it on the field. And, you know, guys like James Roberts are those type of players. And every good sports team in the world ever has had weekend warriors. 100%. Even over... You look at you know Bill Belichick, who's apparently the you know one of the hardest coaches to to deal with in in history of sports, one of the most successful ever over in New England. Even he has Rob Gronkowski, who was a weekend warrior who could yeah. do party and shit. As long as he put did his job and was at training, he was allowed to do that stuff. And that's part of being a good coach is understanding that okay, you know what? Even if he doesn't kill training, if he kills it on the weekend, I can be happy with that, and his teammates will be happy with that. But he wasn't happy with the guys like, like James Roberts. So they were shipped out. They didn't work. But also. Not many dissenting opinions at Brisbane. A lot of underqualified or maybe less skilled assistants that disagree with him and less pushback. And then a real lack of adaptability when things don't go as he'd like them to go. Like he hasn't adapted for that playing group. He has plan A in his, in his game plan and that playing group hasn't picked it up and run with it. And instead of stripping back and trying something else, he's just kept stuck to that, that one route of this is my game plan. I want to play this type of football. And I know it's apparently, if you listen to my Broncos weekly podcast with Chris Gary last week, we'll touch on that a bit more. You can hear about that and how he trains and their tactics and similar, but that's what bad coaches do. They're set in their ways. They can't work with different groups of people. Don't adapt to the scenarios around them. And those guys get found out. And the ones that were adaptable, as Dale said, like Ricky Stewart was mad Ricky, angry Ricky 15 years ago. Ricky changed to, to stay around now. And I think that's the biggest thing about, coaching in general in the NRL is being adaptable 
and being a man manager are like the two the two biggest key things because the game will change, the rules will change, your playing group will change. That all will change on you, and if you can't change with it, you won't have a job much longer. You know, after a couple of years. Yeah, hundred percent. I'm glad yeah. that you agree with the point that I made, and I agree with your agreements. Yeah. Good job. <laughs> How good's agreeing? Yeah, yeah like that. You both touched on that a bit, but um. And, and I guess, you know, that's why even with some good coaches do have bad years. Like Brad Arthur had a, had a bad year at Parramatta, but I was one who still believed in Brad Arthur at that point. And that was not many of us. And I don't know about you, Mary, but I stuck with him just because I just knew that like that, that, that whole year just seemed like things went wrong, but that playing group kind of stuck with him and things that went wrong were a lot of off-field stuff. That's not really his problem or responsibility, you know? Do you, do you get, get what I'm saying? Mary? Yeah, I definitely do. And I think um, Brad and my respect a couple of years ago when he looked after the team through that period where we had all the salary cap drama and the club was effectively like burning down around us. Um, Mm. So I'm so pleased to see him doing well now because for so long external factors were really having an impact on that team. Yeah, 100%. And another problem with head coaching too right now is the fact that rugby league fans haven't adapted to how rugby clubs clubs are run now and neither is media. It's like, as you see when... um, when Dean Pay got punted, everyone's talking about the terrible signings since Pay was there. And if you remember when Des got punted, they were talking about Des's terrible signings. And we just conveniently, when, when people want to point a finger, and it's generally management at the Bulldogs doing this, and, or the board or the CEO, people are happy to point a finger at the one big scapegoat. But anyone who knows anything about rugby league knows that like the head coach doesn't do all that. He's mm-hmm. a part of the recruitment committee, but he, like, again, think about it. He, his main job is getting that team to win games every week, right? Like, what time does he have to sit there and watch every other game every week and recruit from other teams? He doesn't. It's yeah. impossible. It doesn't happen like, in any sport like that. Like, think about, you know, you might, you might, like, take take football, for example. Like, you clubs mm-hmm. will have scouts and recruitment managers watching, whether it's juniors or seniors, they'll have them all over the world. In, in, in the NRL, they would have them. At that I, I could guarantee you there would be eyes either physically or vi- like watching video of every game in Q Cup and New South Wales Cup every week for most teams. You know, I could guarantee you that there would be people watching these and, and younger bloke coming through or y- lower grades and things like that. Like there, there's no way on, on, on this planet that Wayne Bennett is trotting out to Henson Park to watch Norths go around. Exactly. Or he might watch one of their players' games to impression that player, but it's part of their job, right? Exactly. It's not his whole job. Yeah. Yeah, but they get blamed for all of it. And they get blamed for the salaries. None of the coaches pick the salaries yeah. people. None of them. <laughs> They're not the finance guy. The club's letting the coach do that. Mm, sack the entire club. I am enjoying the the thought of Craig Bellamy having a bar chart of finances. Although Craig Bellamy <laughs> yeah. could probably Craig Bellamy is probably one of the coaches that I would trust to do the finances, despite the fact that they had the salary cap scandal down there yeah. a few years ago that's it like they get to you know say who they do and don't want in or you know they get to say but that's not their job like generally they'll come to the head coach like oh hey you know brad ryan madison's keen on coming back what do you reckon at ryan madison that'll start there you know anyway mm. uh this is so this we've got a couple of more really good discussion points i'll shout out harvey g had a great one about revisiting our pre-season predictions and a bit of a halfway recap we were going to do that but without Bungard here we'll wait till Bungard's back to discuss our preseason predictions yep and then Warwick Ahern had a good one too but I want to also wait on this one because you actually have a podcast kind of similar to this plan that hasn't happened yet but will happen one day yep about again about kind of expansion-ish but kind of ideal 
team location stuff. Mm. But the last talking point we have before we jump into the next question time pod with our, with our good friend Mary is from Michael Murray. He said, a bit nerdy, but he wants to talk about the art of salary cap management. And he said, you know, how some teams like the Storm and Roosters have been able to manage a roster and stay competitive, particularly when players from successful teams are often tempted by offers from other teams. So you guys got any cap management takes? Um, I, I know that there's always talk about, like, it's always easier to attract teams, to attract mm. players to successful teams. That doesn't need saying, right? Like, oh, Ryan James is taking a significant pay cut to go to the Raiders. Oh, well, that kind of makes sense. Yes, because the Titans are bad. And also Ryan James has been bad and the Raiders are relatively good and he will fit the system. So he will take a pay cut to go there. That makes sense, right? You fit him in, the player fits in, it it makes sense. The ones that I always find really interesting are two. A, young young players who are on big deals and older players who won't who will take less money to go and like see out there say like with the Morris brothers for example take less money to go and be happy I guess like these the, the Morris brothers playing together at a good team like take, they, they, they have to have taken less money like those are the ones that always fascinate yeah. me yeah, yeah Mary any takes I was gonna say I don't know not very good at math, so salary cap management probably wouldn't be my strong point. But desperation signings are the ones that I always really struggle with, and I think particularly about the Gold Coast Titans and some of the players they've signed over the years, like Shannon Boyd, Bryce Cartwright. Oh. Just appalling signings, absolutely appalling. Not only did they, didn't they fit the club, they weren't particularly good players and they paid them significantly more than what they should have been getting paid. Mm. Yeah. I mean, those are the ones when it's obvious that a fan can sit there and go, what the fuck was that deal? Those are the bad ones. But in, in terms of effective cap management, I'll, again, I'll use some of my experience meeting with some NRL coaches to talk about some of this stuff. And I can't name the coach because it's, you know, not, not my information to fully share that way. But uh, I did meet with a, a coach a couple uh, off season ago and talking about, you know, a few years ago when he had great success at, at, at the club that it wasn't built on the good players in his team. Good players are good. Good players get played to paid to be good. It just would ha- good. That's it. That works. You know, every team, good players get paid. But it was built on, he had four or five players and he told me how much money they were on and they're on about 100-ish thousand each. Four or five players in his starting team that were some of his best players but young that they were the reason why his team were doing well. It wasn't, you know... The million-dollar player getting a million dollars is why that team did well and, and him performing to his salary his salary expectations. Those aren't the guys that win you competitions. They might be the guys that win you big games, but they're not the ones that win you the comp. Mm. They don't get you there. But that's how he, that, he thinks about it. Like you have to get value out of four or five, six roster spots every year and turn those over every couple of years and just get value out of them that exceeds their, their salary. And that the problem with... um with teams that don't do that, if you look at teams like Brisbane is they didn't really, they haven't really planned. Like if you, if you ask the Broncos, they, they might say differently, but if you ask them, who are your five or six players you're building around? There isn't an answer to that question because they try to resign all of them and they try to resign all of them on decentish money. And, and no team's ever won the competition doing that. Mm. Just resign every player you have and hope it works out. You've got to figure this is our six or seven core players we build around. And then we work around the outside of it. But a big part of, 
being a good team is those guys that Dale mentioned. The players on unders are either veterans who come to win or they end of their career and outperform their salary, or the young fellas who are on unders. And there's no one on unders at the Broncos. Everyone's getting paid. They're getting mm. paid what they could be worth at their best. Like Tom Flegel got paid, as we everyone knows by now, six hundred k. Joe, five hundred k. Those guys got paid to be. That's what they could be at their ceiling. You don't win comps doing that. That's just terrible. But the other one, as Dale mentioned, it's like being good. Not hard. That's the easiest part of recruitment is if you're a good team. Because even at the Roosters, like whilst players will go there for less, they did pay good money to Angus Crichton to go there and James Tedesco. But it's an easy call for them to move from the Tigers and, you know, well, South's not as easy, but from South to the Roosters for similar money to what they offered at their current club. You know, to go to the Titans, for example, you know, Fafita has to take $1.25 million a year to go there. Mm. Big difference to attracting other good talent. but And what you mentioned about um, Ryan James to the Raiders, it's quite funny because on our Raiders recap episode with uh, with the Resurgence episode, sorry, with Dave, we spoke about how that, that was not an option for them five years ago. But them trying something different, it's now there is an option that people will go to the Raiders to play for a good team, which just wasn't part of their options four, four or five years ago. But, but cap management, it's way more about not the good players you sign, the ones that you sign that are just average play like good players. It's really where, where, where it comes from. Like Even if you look at that Parramatta right now, for example, like a lot of good players in that team, but you know, a guy like Mike Acevo wouldn't be on a bazillion dollars. You know, you know, Michael Jennings is on that di- contract. They cut his wage right down for him to play. He's playing like this. Like they didn't really pay Sean Lane that much. Like that's a lot of players outperforming their salary. And whilst I went and did sign good players like Madison and Junior Paulo, I think Junior Paulo is probably exceeding his wage right now too. But good players playing good is fine. It's those other little ones that aren't considered great players or paid by great players stepping up that make the big difference. Good question though. Very good. Shout yeah, out to Michael is. Murray. Yeah, I could definitely spend that one and the one about uh, good good or bad head coaching. I could spend about three, four hours on both those and go around in many circles just from talking to different clubs over the, over the years. Yeah. But, uh, Get in Mitch too and you'll be there for, for a year. Hey, this one's been pretty long. doesn't even need Campo. Just <laughs> apparently no Bungard and you can't shut the, all of us up. <laughs> That's uh, dangerous, <laughs> dangerous ground for us to be covering considering that, you know, we've got another podcast to do after this. But, yeah. Uh, so those are those are good ones. Obviously, Harvey and Warwick will get onto yours in the coming weeks and months. The uh, we I mean we could cover we could cover Harvey's podcast uh, Harvey's question uh, next time we do a recording session because I think that's a good point. Where you know we're almost halfway. Where where are we? We're almost halfway through the season now. Um, you know, it's take, it makes sense to kind of do a bit of a wrap and and get get some of those takes. Oh God. Yeah. Some of those takes, were so bad. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah uh, right. that. So I think we've uh, we've got uh, got to let the rubber hit the road. We've got to get out of here. Uh, Mitch, thank you for another episode of Brilliance, and Mary, thank you for joining us once again. Thanks for having me, guys. It was a lot of fun. Yep, and uh, and <laughs> we will see you next time on NRL Boom Rookies. That's that, that's goodbye from me. <laughs> this is different. <laughs> you got a goodbye. Say goodbye. Say goodbye, Mary. <laughs> Goodbye, Mitch. Goodbye, Mitchell. And it's goodbye from me. Goodbye from you. <laughs>